Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. This is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls. I have been away from doing these podcasts for a while, plugging my book, and I'm happy to uh, start again with uh, with my guest, Father John Maria. Uh, we did one last year, and it really meant a lot to me to have a, a Dominican perspective. And uh, he suggested we do this one about happiness, and I am so enthusiastic about this subject. Uh, I just want to start with something. I was playing tennis with a friend of mine uh, in Riverside Park. It's right against the river on one side and the park on the other. And as we were walking back afterwards, he said, you know, it's kind of amazing how screwed up the world is and how pleasant our lives are. And as a Christian, how does one deal with the balance between having compassion for the enormous amount of suffering in the world and there's a level of anxiety, certainly in America, that a lot of people have since the election. I'm one of them. And and moment-to-moment moment happiness and trying to appreciate and honor that as well. I, I guess from the uh, Christian perspective would be that um, happiness is not fully complete in this life, but we can uh, – like a completion, a fullness of happiness – but that indeed there can be a day-to-day -day happiness um, in what is presented to you each day. So uh, that's why – have you ever heard those statistics quite often um, how some of the poor countries, especially in Central America, are some of the statistically happiest countries? Uh, because you can have this happiness in your day-to-day -day existence in, even in time of worry. I never understand uh, how they um... – compile such statistics because it's such an inner inner feeling it seems to me that have to be pretty primitive uh, metrics for that but um let me just back up for a minute though your your belief is that it's impossible sort of in human form to be completely happy yeah. is that what you were saying yeah because uh, um because if you think about it, if you go back to the classic one of the great things we have with saint thomas aquinas you know as a theologian a philosopher was that um he gets it from Aristotle. We, we have such a debt in the West, uh, Aristotle. It's not even in his philosophy and, of course, Plato as well. But Aristotle gave us the concept that man is a – it's a big word here now, Danny – hylomorphic union, a union of body and soul so that there is part of us that is immaterial and there's part of us that's material. So we're never going to be totally satisfied in this life um, because it's only till we see God that they'll be who's pure spirit, that the, the spirit side, the spirit part of us will be fully fulfilled. So since in, since we're this mix here and now and things aren't perfect, we're never going to be fully fulfilled until we have that. And and the soul cannot. Uh... I understand the distinction between the soul and the body. That's my belief system also, sure. that I am, uh, you know, often you'll hear a yogi say, I am not this body, I am not this mind, I am not these emotions, I am. 
but the I still exists, even though this body exists. The, the existence of the body doesn't cancel out the existence of the soul. No, no it can't. Because we believe uh, in both, both and, uh, you know, that, that we are a union of body and soul. That's pretty key to uh, Catholic anthropology uh, or, or Christian anthropology, really. And then, of course, getting that big fancy term from Aristotle, hylomorphic union. Because so obviously, <laughs> I think you like saying that. I do. I feel smart <laughs> yeah. like compared to all your other guests. Yeah. Uh, but it's that's I mean, strangely enough, but that's why we believe in an incarnate God, a God who came down and became one of us mm. in Jesus. Mm. Yeah. So um, what about when you're in prayer? Or med do you meditate as well as pray? I, I do. Yeah, we have, I think we talked about this last time. I, I got yeah. to share with the listeners a little bit about how um, we have a long tradition of what we call mental prayer uh, in in our um, in our. Um, uh, tradition of friars. Yes. So, so that is part of our daily life. So that, that moment of, I, I mean, I find my mind is, uh, quite active and, uh, keeps, uh, tricking me into having these thoughts or thinking that these thoughts are the real reality of the moment, but there are moments of space in between where I feel at one with the universe and at one with whoever I am. Um, and that though, because I'm in a body by your philosophy, couldn't it constitute even a moment of happiness? Well, no, I, I think uh, it, it definitely we can have moments of happiness. Absolutely. Um, so if I guess, I guess and you probably know more about the Eastern traditions than I do, but uh, the ultimate goal for a lot of Eastern religions is like a nirvana, a total escape from the body, right? Well, I would say, first of all, to candid, I'm not remotely as widely read as a lot of the teachers and other people who do these sorts of things. Sure. But my, my feeling would be not so much an escape from the body as a transcendence of the body. Okay. The All body right. yeah. exists. I don't think that you, that, 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 but, but, but to identify with the soul instead of identifying with the body the same way. I mean, an example people give is you could be driving a car, but you don't think you're the car. Okay. All right. I, 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 I get that. Yeah. Whereas with us, so during our time of, of mental prayer or meditation, we believe two things can happen. So you can meditate as a practice and a habit, but then we believe that there's times of contemplation. And when, you, when contemplation is given, it can't be achieved. It has to be given by God. Correct. I agree with that. So when you have those moments of contemplation, distraction-free, peace, quiet, and maybe some kind of inner peaking into the mysteries of the universe and the mysteries of, of the monotheistic God, then um, that we call in our tradition contemplation. And you can't go seek it out. It has to be given. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I definitely, um, yeah, R Ramakrishna, one of the Hindu saints that I read a lot, uh, lived in the 19th century and somebody walked around, uh, one of his students and took very extensive detailed journals of, 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 of what he said. And, and this, uh, the famous book about him called the gospel according to Sri Ramakrishna is really almost a series of, uh, dialogue of him and students. Um, but of course he wouldn't speak in English. It was translated first to German and then to English. And, and, and when you go back a hundred in 30 or 140 years, words meant completely different things than even in English. 
So I always tell myself uh, when I'm reading it, I'm trying to get the essence of Ramakrishna, not not uh, obsess on this particular translation seen through the uh, you know eyes of uh, 2017. But one of the things he would say, he he worshipped what he called the Divine Mother. And, uh, you know, uh, my teacher Hilda believed the Divine Mother came in many forms, one of whom was Mary. So, it, and, and, and we, you know, I was taught to worship Mary as much as, you know, Durga, Kali, you know, if it's a, somebody, if there's a being that's omnipresent and all-powerful, they can certainly take more than one form. Um, and one assumes that as civil, you know, civilizations around the world in different languages and so on. But he would say, Mother, um, you are the operator and I am the machine. You know, so he he would instruct people that that was the right thing. Now, I doubt those were the words he used because I just don't know how many machines there were in the 1800s. And I've tried to think of, but I kind of get the vibe, which is, yes, this is coming. This is not, uh, this is something that's given to us, not imposed by us. Mm. Um, But boy, when it's given, it's quite a, a different feeling about existence and aliveness than sort of when I'm worried about, you know, what people think of me or what I'm going to eat later or if something is itching me or, you know, all of the things that the body, that the body kind of intrudes on. Um, and, and, you know, my theory, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a tradition. I, I wouldn't try to speak for anybody else is that, uh, you know, whether you have a body or not, uh, you exist. I remember um, my dad passed away, oh goodness, uh, 10 years ago or so, nine or 10 years ago. And I ran into the great jazz musician, Ornette Coleman, not long after that. And Ornette, and Ornette knew my dad. And uh, I, I ran to him in an unexpected place in the middle of the country. He said, man, how you doing? And I said, uh, I said, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm feeling a little down. You know, my, my dad passed away and he looked at me and he says, Danny, being alive has nothing to do with having a body, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, man, Ornette was right there. He wasn't, he was not saying it uh, because that was his job. He didn't, you know, have your profession where that's part of his job. That's just, it came out of his soul. And I have to tell you, it made me feel better immediately because I felt in my heart of hearts that that was true. Mm. But on the other hand, I wouldn't think having a body precludes being alive either. No, because, I mean, if you believe in a creator God, that there was a big bang, that there was indeed ex nihilo, out of nothing, you know, is the term, then that there is a goodness inherent in all of creation. And if man, even with our ability to get things really wrong compared to a dog or a cat, uh, we are the pinnacle of that creation because we have this, this free will for great good or great evil. And um, that uh, is it's something where we differ a little bit uh, more than the animals. We're the rational animal. You know, the lion acts according to its nature where we can choose to pick up the rock and smash the window or stay right where we are and let it go. Right. Well, I don't know. You say free will. I would say freer will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure, you know, how completely free i get i really wonder a lot about my life because so many things in my life feel like i'm watching a movie and things uh, happen and that's include a lot of very good things uh more more good than 
than not. I believe in that whole people say, oh, luck is the residue of design. That's a big, you know, expression in the business world. And, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, my feeling is uh, a little different than that, that, that you that you're sort of obligated to do your best. But so much of what's happening, I think, is coming from someplace that's a mystery to me. And the one thing I think I have some control of is whether my heart is open with love or not. And 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 to try to and and to me the one thing that I can relate to as connecting whatever the truth is is love. And um, how does love come into your tradition when you're contemplating uh, reality? Well, I, the big thing is um, for us when you're contemplating reality, how does love come in? Okay, that we do believe um, this is a kind of going back to the the, the Jewish scriptures. Um, you know, God said to Moses, you know, who are you? And he says, I am. I am. Right. Yeah. So this is, again, we kind of get this from Aristotle's metaphysics, but that God's existence is also his essence. Okay. So his existence is also the essence of who he is. They're simultaneous. Because usually in created goods, I can know the existence of this bell pepper or I can have the essence of bell pepper in my mind and know all bell peppers from that. So to go to love, if we say that God is love, which we believe in our tradition, that so God, if God is love, then... Well, let me just pause. If God is love, does that also mean love is God? No, because it has to have a source. Uh, because if we said... Like waters in the fountain, would we say then that the fountain is water? No, it has to have a source. If that helps, it has to have a, a, a starting point. Right. You know? uh, it doesn't exist on its own. So, um, but our encounters of love uh, through each other can be participation and experiences of the divine love uh, uh, that comes forth and comes that transcends down. So we can participate in it. If that helps a little bit. Well, everything helps because it makes me feel so happy to talk <laughs> about this stuff. And I was not in a particularly good mood 20 minutes ago. Yeah. That's the mystery of these sort of things. You know, <laughs> nothing external changed. I didn't change my diet. I didn't, uh, you know, get left an inheritance that I know of. I just feel better because I'm talking about this. So um, that's kind of the mystery to me of the, of the whole thing. Um, let me just shift for a minute because... Clearly, you have a great love of learning, and yeah. part of your training has been reading and learning and scholarship and using the mind and harnessing the mind to contemplate and study these these things. And at the same time, I know you're involved with service. And, and, and we met through a program that you're involved with having to do with refugees. And uh, you're still involved with that, I, 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 would, I, I would, yes? Yeah, there's. Um, we're hoping to get back involved. It was through, you know, SiriusXM. I work on the on the Catholic Channel. Yeah. Uh, with Lampedusa tour with with Emmylou Harris and Steve Earle and a whole bunch of great people. Um, and there's going to be a, a fall tour. I found out. I, yes, I, I, there is. There is going to be a fall tour. I don't know if we can publicly talk about it, but let's just say uh, the West Coast is going to be quite happy. I think. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is not so public. I'll take the risk. But the point is. What what the, what is the connection between your scholarship and study and 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 service? 
where what where, where does this does the service come from kind of a commandments and teaching or does it come from a feeling of uh, the the unity of all life and a connectivity to other people where where, where is this how does service uh, and compassion fit into this sure that's a, a great question danny so our founder saint dominic he in the 800 in 800 years ago when the university system was getting going i know we got to talk about this before in medieval europe he wanted the Dominican friars to really study theology and their philosophy well. And he wanted us also to study um, the great um, Jewish philosophers of the time, like Maimonides, and also um, the great uh, Islamic philosophers like Averroes. He wanted us to soak in as much as possible. And where he then, but he also wanted us to act. I mean, this goes back to the, the uh, epistles of St. Paul, you know, faith without works is dead. So someone could say, I have faith. Okay, that's great. But you're not saved by faith alone. you got to go out and love your neighbor. And then how are you going to love your neighbor? So as Dominicans, you know, and as friars, as someone who's a, a friar, kind of like an urban monk, we then have a particular um, role through our vows and our charism, uh, which is the order of preachers, uh, in Dominicans to go out and share what we learn, to share our contemplation with others. And then as far as service, it does have to concretize itself. So are you loving your family? That's my favorite thing. Uh, St. Mother Teresa, we call her now, we canonized her. Um, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Mm. That's something Mother Teresa said? Yeah, that's what I think my favorite quote by her, yeah. Mm. Mm. But no, but that's, I mean, we're, and Christ said it. Jesus Christ said that um, the two, the summation of the whole law and all the commandments is this, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So you're going to have to identify with something beyond yourself, and your neighbor happens to be the stranger who's 8,000 miles away in Africa on a refugee boat. Yeah, Dr. King had a sermon entitled, Who is My Neighbor? Oh, wow. And, um, and uh, so, um, so why, why is it that, that, I mean, obviously, you're in New York City, uh, it's hard to walk the streets of Manhattan without seeing people that are living on the streets. Um, there's a lot of people in jail. There's a lot of people in hospitals. Uh, what What is it that draws you to this other suffering thousands of miles away? I think the fact, well, first and foremost, Danny, I mean, this is where you and I connected at rock and roll. I mean, the power of music and the power of, and you and I talked a lot about Bill Graham, rest his soul, mm. the power of public assembly. You know, uh, the and I mean, think about, you know, your first gig, Covery Woodstock. I mean, what is it about when humanity comes together in large masses uh, through a vehicle or a means of music where we look out at we're at a stadium, a football field, um, an amphitheater, whatever it is, a gymnasium. And there's thousands of us together experiencing something for the good, something for the positive. Um then, then it is that collective energy to then go out and say, well, what, how can we use this force as a fulfillment of love God and love your neighbor? So talk a little bit about what's happening with the refugees in real time. We're, we're speaking in the middle of July. Um, this will be heard in the next few weeks of 2017. Uh, what what is what is going on? What what do you hope could go on? Uh, I think the the big thing is, I mean, continued awareness. It's so easy for us to just forget and go on with our lives because, like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, 
um, you know, uh, coming back from playing tennis, you know, wh why is this such a pleasant evening when we're either worried about so much or there's so much uh, tough stuff going on, uh, horrible stuff going on in the world? So I think to, to, to get it up to speed, I mean, obviously the refugee crisis is still real. There's still the refugee camps in Eastern Africa that the uh, Jesuit Refugee Service that we worked with, uh, along with Steve Earle and Emmylou Harris and Lampedusa tour last fall, they're still doing their good work. They're still building awareness. Um, you know, we still have World Refugee Day every year. Now, you can't just boil this kind of work down to one day, but that we have a continuation of, um, of, of what, yeah, obviously what Pope Francis has asked us to do and what we get from actually the, the Jewish scriptures and our tradition is, you know, to welcome the alien among you. And what role do governments play in this? How much can private charity really do, given the scale of the problem? No, that's, a, that's an excellent question. If you think about it, I mean, we do need private charities throughout the world, uh, whether they're government-funded or not, because it's the goodness of someone's heart that had an idea, that had a mission, that had something and started it, and it's continued. Um, and then I, I heard it actually pretty interestingly put that, um, you know, Cardinal uh, Timothy Dolan, the Cardinal in New York, he said something that, you know, the church is interested in immigrants versus immigration. Not that we wouldn't have something to say about uh, unjust laws or unjust policies, because obviously we do. We comment on that. We make statements um, as the Catholic Church, either whether it comes from Rome and someone like Pope Francis or it comes from like the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's that individual one on one encounter. That's where we're going to meet the person. And then how can we do that collectively as well through through good works? Um, you know, can I give you the stats exactly right now of, of the numbers and, and how many people are still coming over? How many people are dying? I can't say that I can, but I can tell you that the programs that have gone on for decades, uh, especially with the Jesuit Refugee Service, they're continuing to help um, basically bring people in who are escaping and give them a place to learn, to be happy and to give them hope, really. So the, the hope hasn't diminished. Right. What is the difference uh, between hope and optimism? Oh, that's an excellent question. Okay, so in our tradition, we believe that hope is one of what we call the theological virtues. Uh, the three theological virtues are faith, to believe in what's been revealed or what we don't see, hope, that there will be a hope not just in like a better tomorrow or a better system or a better society, but in a final hope, that this world is not all there is. And then lastly, the last theological virtue we have is love. Um, and so hope versus optimism. Um, optimism can be more of a feeling or an emotion where someone could be in the middle of, um, dare I say, hell on earth, and yet a hope can still be grounded because we believe that hope is given by God. It, it's, it's a gift that comes along with faith and love. It's like get one, get three, you know. And why is the world so screwed up? Oh, why is there so much suffering in the world? How, what what is it? In small groups, human beings can seem to respect each other and care for each other. And when we get into these larger social structures, the 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 amount of um, indifference to suffering seems to increase. 
do you have a theory about why that is and anything we can do to change that dynamic? Well, two things. Broken human nature, Danny. So the, the capability of man to sin, that we can, you know, uh, do awful things or we can do great things. And then, as you said, if things are going on in small groups pretty well, like uh, remember Rick Danko's line? I don't know if you ever heard this. Uh, I, I'm not here to change the world, but I'm here to help the neighborhood. You know, I forgot that line, but it's a wonderful line. Uh, oh. but, but then the problem is, is it just your neighborhood or, you know, where, where are the boundaries of that? True, true. Now, the other that that's a good point, because, you know, we are in the global village. You think you brought actually, uh, if I may share, you wrote about McLuhan, you know, a lot. Yeah. And you had a deep admiration for McLuhan. Uh, well, you? I you're kind enough to reference, you know, I have a book called In Search of the Lost Chord, and it's about the year 1967. And I felt in terms of my my quest in the book was to try to break down in some granular detail what was this 60s thing that I had this sort of visceral emotional attraction to and that kind of informed my life but what was actually going on in the world and McLuhan I thought was an important figure because he had a sophistication about media as far as I know he was the person who popularized that word media I don't, it wasn't a thing that everybody talked about until he, he wrote his book Understanding Media and now it's just a, a word everybody uses and he had an understanding of the way um, the media itself connected people. And he was a big influence, even though he was quite a bit older than the 60s characters. He was in his late 60s when, you know, most of the prominent voices in the 60s were in their 20s and a few in their 30s. But, but he, he, uh, he was an influence on John Lennon, on uh, Timothy Leary, on Abby Hoffman, on Jerry Rubin because of his... Uh, grasp of how to connect with the masses and uh he was so influential that uh, that uh, president uh, you know when richard nixon was running for president in 68 his campaign advisors uh, uh studied some of McLuhan's theory so this is uh ancient history uh given it's the internet age we don't know what McLuhan would say about social networking uh or i i certainly don't know but 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 i i felt that the media was a key to creating the phenomenon that we call the 60s, because the ideas were not new. The ideas are ancient ideas. They're the same ideas Aristotle wrote about, yeah. that, that all the mystics throughout the centuries had written about and thought about. The difference about the 60s to me was that those ideas became part of the pop conversation in a materialistic age, when most of the pop world, the mass Western culture was materialist. And, and, and religions, for some people, uh, found God and spirituality through religions, but a lot of people didn't. And the dominant ethos to me was sort of as depicted in the TV series Mad Men, a more sure. materialistic world. And the Absolutely. 60s thing was 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 kind of a third way that if you, you may have not been happy with the particular church or synagogue you were raised in or, or exposed to the spirit, uh, you may, you may uh, feel limits to how much happiness you can get from a purely materialistic path. And this was this sort of incohate third way, you know, I call it the hippie idea. Some people called it the counterculture, but it wouldn't have existed as we remember it without, without the media participating so much. And he was a, he was a thinker that helped a, a lot of the counterculture people connect with the mass stage. And uh, when he was up in Toronto, he was a good friend of a lot of our friars, uh, the Dominican friars. And he was a devout Catholic. I don't know if you knew that about McLuhan. I did. I did. Yeah. 
And so, but to go back to the, use that term global village to answer your question about, you know, if it's so, how then if things locally, but then how can we, we're so connected, how can we then extend our heart and our desire for justice 8,000, 10,000 miles away when we see it brought to us on these screens before us or in these headlines that we hear. So interestingly enough, maybe one of the small def uh, deficits of our modern technology, it was we're so wrapped up in a larger conversation or just looking at big headlines that we're never paying attention to what's going on around us. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's part of it. Uh, and then the question, why is the world so bad? The other part of your question to answer. Well, again, I said we talked about free will. We talked about um, how, you know, that uh, God created us so free that we can love deeply or we can hate deeply. And if you think about this, Danny, that um, when we do have evils in the world and difficulties and wars and famines and whether it's a natural um, a phenomena of like a tsunami or an earthquake or a famine or it's a war, it's an injustice. It's it's uh, robbing someone of of the dignity of their work that we do believe in our tradition that God is so powerful that he can make a good come out of it. Now, hindsight, we say I know it's 2020, but that God is so powerful that even in the most awful situation, we usually end up hearing about some good coming from it. Again, yeah, Dr. King used to say God can make a way out of no way. But, uh, you know, um my real hero is Dr. King. I, I like McLuhan a lot. And I like the rock, Jimi Hendrix a lot. But my number one guy from the 60s is, is Dr. King. And I suspect we may have that in, in common. Let me just ask you about some American uh, issues. And no, let me, I'm, I'm just going to switch back to what you were saying, that the idea of we're so busy thinking about uh, kind of public matters that we, we don't always see what's immediately in front of us. And I am concerned about this in the Trump era. First of all, I honor and respect the fact that there are tens of millions of people in this country who, who for whatever their reasons, are like President Trump. I, however, am not one of them. Uh, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't like his policies or what he stands for. Um, you know, uh, I, I believe God created everybody and therefore created him. But, but I, I am very, but, but I see in my own uh, life. Um, and conversations with people throughout the days, so much time obsessing about Trump that it seems to get in the way of the very values that are being invoked when people are talking about Trump. That there's, it's, it's kind of like a movie instead of re reality because there's only so much uh, effect we can all have on these sort of things. Elections are one of those moments. And I think there are activist opportunities that, that people should certainly do within their capacity. I would never discourage anybody from, you know, showing up at a town meeting about health care or caring about uh, deportations or whatever matters to them. Um, but, but there's also kind of this vacuum cleaner psychologically of the media obsession with Trump that, that, that I'm, I'm, it just seems to me sort of takes away from the day-to-day -day granular reality of caring about people right in, in, in front of us. Is, is, this, is this something that you've thought about at all, or are you just sort of doing your thing and, and not so affected by the Trump thing? A little bit of both, Danny. I would say the first thing is that I, I mean, I, I'm still, you know, I, the whole thing, the whole election, uh, and, and for the record, I, I don't mind sharing this, I'm a registered independent. I believe most clergy should be. That's my personal opinion. Mm. Um, and... Uh, 
first thing is like, I, I still think, I mean, granted, D Danny, you guys lived, lived through the, 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 a lot of great trips and I, I'm a little bit younger than you, but like uh, my mind is still blown. I feel like I'm still on a trip that, that what happened in November happened in general. I say that totally bipartisanly. I mean, it's just hilarious. When I saw, when Chuck Berry passed away mm. and I see the picture of uh, Chuck Berry and Donald Trump doing a soul shake together, that just totally cracked me up. I mean, like, or, or like you see like this, our, our, our president was doing Pizza Hut ads in the 1980s with, uh, you know, so it's just, it just proves to like how we're on this crazy uh, thing where politics and entertainment have come together in, 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 so that's the first thing. So my mind is still kind of blown on, on the whole thing. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, my day-to-day -day life of caring for my neighbor, what I'm called to do, uh, whether it's the work with Sirius XM, and I, I got to share with you and the listeners last time of the podcast. Um, most of my work is a hospital chaplain on the east side of Manhattan. The Dominican Friars have had a long, long tradition uh, for over 80 years of caring for the sick there and visiting the sick. Um, so I just still say, yeah, how much has my life changed since the election? How much has my day-to-day -day life changed? And the answer really, Danny, is not that much. I'm still doing what I do right. uh, each day, you know. Um, so, and, and the media's obsession with it, you're right. I, I think, I think we can all agree that he's a creation to a certain degree of what the media gave with time and space. And now they're blown away that, uh, it's still here. Is it kind of, in a small way, is it kind of like, um, I don't want to say a Frankenstein situation, you know, but I think, I think of the old, you know, uh, Frankenstein movies kind of. To a small one. I'm not trying to compare the, the president to Frankenstein, but just this creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm more concerned of just how uh, how to be positive, uh, you know, and uh, how to how to make a difference. And there's a thin line between righteous indignation and sort of nihilistic anger. Um, I understand the idea of protest especially if someone's health care is going to be taken away or breaking up a family because of a deportation, um, uh, you know, stripping funding from, uh, you know, uh, hospitals um, and, uh, and so on. But um, I, 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 um, I think that there's, there's the reality and then there's the sort of almost addictive quality to the argument. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to, in my own head, draw that line. Let me just shift to another issue. Uh, to me, one of, the, one of the moral issues of being an American in this era is the number of people we have in jail. We have more people in jail than we've ever had in our country's history. I think triple what we had, uh, you know, 20 years ago, a higher percentage than other countries. Uh, it, there's no question there's a disparity of income and race in terms of who is in jail. And um, I just wondered, is this, is this in your field of vision? Uh, certainly it's not fun to be in jail. And Jesus talked about people being, about visiting and caring about people in jail, did he not? Yeah, no, in, the, uh, Catholic, in Catholic tradition, we have what's called the uh, spiritual works of mercy and the corporal works of mercy. So you can do, you know, again, it goes back to the body-soul combo. So one of the corporal works of mercy, besides feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the uh, homeless, is to visit the imprisoned. And I can honestly say in my life, 
it's it's probably the one corporal work of mercy I rarely have done. We have a few friars um, who do do prison ministry and they'll visit the incarcerated. I've always, Danny, maybe we can put our efforts together. I want to bring some some rock and roll into the prisons, you know, so maybe great artists. I've never been a part of that. We've had friars who've produced like jazz festivals in the 70s for the prisons and stuff. Um, I'd love to, to go to some of the musicians I know and say, hey, let's go do this. Um, but you think about this, man, how much of the difficult things of society, modern society is get it out of sight, out of mind. So even with those who are incarcerated, get it out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, so many of the atrocities and things we deal with, just let's keep like, uh, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to digress, but you know, I mean, nursing homes and, and, and taking care of elderly is something that's only really a phenomena of the last, well, now we've had hospitals for centuries, but let's get our elderly out of sight, out of mind, instead of keeping them in the village and having them at home and caring for them until they die at home. Even us as friars, we were just talking about this today. We have a, a handful of our older friars in, in nursing homes or skilled care facilities, as they're called, because I mean, we only started doing this 50, 60 years ago. We used to take care of our own till they died at home, you know, or perhaps in the hospital. Mm. But I think so much of our stuff is out of sight, out of mind. And, and I think that's part of the thing where we, you know, are we showing mercy to this prison population? Instead, if we just let them rot within, unfortunately, uh, then how are we ever going to help them to, to, as the word says, rehabilitate, you know? Well, um, yeah, it's hard to tell in terms of public policy, uh, if that word rehabilitate is still a, a major factor. And then there's the other phenomenon of the fact that there are more and more, uh, you know, private prisons where there's actually a profit motive. And this is also part of the nursing homes issue you talked about is what is the dividing line between, you know, an economy which creates wealth and growth and progress for people. And I do think there's, you know, the capitalist uh, tradition has a lot to be proud of. And then on the other hand, when it's distorted and it creates incentives that actually increase uh, suffering of other people, and, you know, and, uh, and how to create uh, moral rules about this to at least, at least inform people's uh, decisions. Cause, cause uh, you know, what, what is, what is your, uh, what is your view of capitalism these days? Well, I think, I mean, obviously we have a long tradition of social justice and a long tradition of, of um, you know, economic uh, stability uh, as far as, uh, like capitalism is an evil in itself. I mean, what's the end? Is the end pure profit or is the end? Now, one thing we do, you know, obviously have strong feelings about is that if certain portions and areas of the world or populations are so um, endowed with such riches and luxury, then there is a duty. There's a justice. So it's a justice issue for us to share with those who do not have. Now, of course, you can't mandate it. It's got to come from the heart. If it's mandated like communism was, it's a failure, you know. Yeah has to come from the heart. It has to come out of love. Otherwise, you can have all the wealth redistribution you want, and you're going to have nothing but unhappy people because it doesn't come from the heart. Well, um, you know, again, Dr. King said, um, it's just so funny. Here I am quoting Dr. King so many times today, but I've got the 60s on the brain. 
and he said uh, in, in the, during the civil rights movement, there were a lot of people who opposed the civil rights laws who said that you can't legislate morality. And he said, that's true, but you can regulate behavior. And yeah. the, although the law can't make a man love me, it can prevent him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. So there is that area in between that has to do with kind of a collective morality, which, no, which, which is presumably what laws are supposed to reflect. And then, and then what, in, what informs that uh, in, a, in, a, in a society that's more and more kind of worshiping uh, prophets? Now, I, it seems to me that the Pope talks about this sort of thing more eloquently than I do. Am, am I correct in that? Absolutely. And, and he speaks about it more eloquently than I do, Danny, so we share something in common. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, Pope Francis has, and it's interesting, too, because um, he, 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 you know, believes in the fact that, as we do in our economic and our, our social justice teaching, like we go back to the classic definition of justice. It's what's due the other. We believe justice is a virtue. So if something is due the other person, if someone creates a good and I want to uh, buy that good, then in justice, I have to give that person a fair uh, worth, a fair price for what it's worth. Just as in justice, um, if I'm in great need, then uh, if all of a sudden inflation sends, like look at the poor people in uh, Venezuela, I've been watching that very closely. Uh, that's where socialism just unraveled and has destroyed a company and people, a country, and people are starving to death right now. And you know, a dozen eggs is $28. So um, that's where then uh, that's that's a gross injustice. I mean, that that's that's it's immoral. It's immoral. You know, it's a uh, so um, that. But then also too, like going back to has to come to the heart. I mean, Pope Francis has talked about it a lot. And it's not that he says he hates per capita, but I think what he's fighting more is and he brought this up during his TED talk is the materialism and the all the things that are driving this need for creating and money but that we can't forget that that um, what's happening right around us. He went back to that theme a lot as well, too. And, and forgive me, I'm not trying to give you an ex, uh, a dodge. The, the, the No, no, the, no, it's good. But let me just intervene. If there's anyone listening who has not seen Pope Francis's TED Talk, I, I urge you to do so. It's not long. I think it's around 15 minutes. And it's one of the really inspiring things. We were talking earlier about sort of the public pop screen of mass culture. And he brings certain thoughts and values into that culture that very few are able to do. And it was really blew my mind. And I'm not a Catholic, but boy, uh, I, I, I look at him as one of the great spiritual and moral leaders of, of this of this time. Thank you, Dan. Um, so so um, <laughs> I wasn't saying you're one of the great moral no, 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 leaders I, I, of the time. I was I, saying he I, was. I, 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 I <laughs> I happen to work kind of for him in a small degree. You yeah. know, yeah. Good. Well, he's a good boss. Um, I, you know, I think I probably asked you this before, but I really want to elaborate on it as a final, as a final part of our conversation. And and I thank you again for doing this with me. It's it's. I think it's important for people to understand the diversity of people who are who are really trying to live up to their concept of God and. And uh, that we, I believe, all have so much more in common than any of the superficial differences. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure we have any cosmic differences. But um, how is his, in terms of the Catholic Church writ large, do you feel that his teaching is, is um, being embraced by the Church globally? 
or or is there still a lot of internal questioning about it? I think for the most part, his pontificate is. Um, we've been blessed with such a, a, a diversity, but at the same time, consistency, believe it or not, for the last two centuries in, and I'm stating this from a, a well-studied, uh, deeply observed, you know, uh, Catholic priest point of view, but we've had two centuries of pretty decent popes, really since the French Revolution. And uh, however, that being said, there, I mean, just, there, there are people that weren't too thrilled about the World War II era. No, no, and, but uh, yeah, I know we, <laughs> we could talk about Pius XII. I, I mean, Golda Meir gave him a, a, a medal of commendation at the end of the war. We can't forget, you know. Um, and the, but anyway, without going into the misinformation or right. whatever, yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, I think Francis's teachings are being uh, taken seriously. I think he's well received by most Catholics. I think like in any situation of leadership, you're going to have sides and factions, be they to use the political terms to the left or to the right, who are not fully happy with what uh, is being proposed and given out. Um, and, and I think that happens. I think there are hard uh, right corners of the Catholic Church that uh, probably see some difficulty. And then there's some left corners of the Catholic Church that it's not enough, you know. And I'm not just trying to give you a nice middle of the road answer. <laughs> it sounds like that. I personally haven't, I, I, what I've enjoyed the most is from, personally, from Francis's pontificate roll up your sleeves, get out in the street, get your hands dirty. Go to the periphery. I mean, Danny, you and I are on a periphery. You're a record, former record, or you're still a rock and roll management business person. I'm yeah. a former disc jockey. You know why you and I ended up talking together? Because we went to the periphery for refugees with yeah. your artist and my radio broadcast. Correct. That, you and I met at a periphery, man. And how yeah. cool is that? You know? <laughs> it's very cool. Well, let's, let's just end with this. One of the things that the Pope talked about, he uses a word that I haven't seen used much in... In, in the mass communications business, and that word is tenderness. Yes. And what what do you think he meant by tenderness? He was he was, you know, really urging people to be more tender. What 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 do you think he meant by that? What did that mean to you? Well, he took that just to share with the listeners. He took that from the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know. Two people walk by the man who's beat up and left for dead in the side of the road, and it's the Samaritan, the outcast, uh, who's looked down upon that stops, takes the man in, gets him healed, gives him money, and, and does the work of mercy, as we talked about earlier about visiting prison. So when he says tenderness, I think that what he's getting at, and he did bring that up as his third point in the, in the TED Talk, um, he said about how uh, that the tenderness is, is – how I say that is – we're human beings, you know, no pun intended, uh, here 50 years after the beaten, right, as you wrote about this year. Um, and if we lose track of our shared humanity, uh, that we breathe the same air, and I'm not just trying to talk in platitudes, Danny, because it's easy to do that. But if we do lose track of that, this human interaction, and it just becomes ones and zeros, uh, you know, in the palm of our hand, then tenderness is gone, man. It's it's just as metallic and edgy as, as what we're using to try and fix the world's problems. Good place to end. I thank you so much for this. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to do one, in, you know, when the weather gets cold here in New York. I, I think that uh, it's a perspective that really does a lot for me. And I think, I uh, hope, I hope I hope you enjoy doing it as well. 
Danny, it's a, it's a great joy. And of course, uh, my, my blessings and wishes to all the listeners. God bless. Bye-bye. See you. Thanks. Mm-hmm.